Sit back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping it sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? Ready? Place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Good afternoon, everyone. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. It is time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Hope everything's going well for you here on this Monday, the 15th day of November. No, trying to keep the best of mindsets here today, both uh, personal-wise um, and when it comes to uh, sports-wise, is especially with the uh, garbage that I once again had to uh, put myself through yesterday at MetLife Stadium with the, the Jets. You know, just another day of uh, them getting their, you know, ass kicked to uh, buy a uh, superior team. I mean, it, you know, it's one thing. It's one thing to be, you know, bad. It's one thing uh, to not have a lot of talent on this team, and that, and that's what the Jets have. They don't have a lot of uh, talent. They don't have a, a lot of things that you can uh, uh, really, you know, grasp onto and be uh, confident about. But at least be competent. At least you know, be respectable. And uh, that that's something that the Jets have not been the last four weeks. Hell, you could argue all season long. I mean, you now look at it and you say, how the hell did they beat Cincinnati or Tennessee? And what I've worried about all along is that the clock hit midnight. The, you know, the, the Mike White train Turn from, you know, the the uh, carriage driven by horses back into a, a pumpkin dragged around by a donkey. I mean, it was just, you know, unfortunately, it was uh, one of those days for uh, poor Mike White for uh, uh, the uh, Jets. And l- listen, no, he threw four interceptions. He he was not good. I mean. Some of them were just, you know, mind-boggling, uh, throwing them right to a Bills defense. I think we forget how uh, good this defense is. I mean, they're number one in the league. They're, the defense for the Bills is not the reason why they had an embarrassing loss to the Jaguars last week. It was because they could not move uh, the football, had no run game, and Josh Allen... Uh, his life was made miserable by the Jaguars' uh, defense. Yesterday, he made uh, the Jets' defense his life miserable. And you would think that after a while that Robert Sala would wake up and uh, 
and ha and get a clue when it comes to something defensively uh, for the New York Jets. But no, no, same old trash, same old, uh, no, those words I would want to use. I mean, your co single coverage on Stefan Diggs. You could see that your corners are, ha are having trouble on him, no matter who you're putting on him. And still you're going with one-on-one -on -one matchups, especially, you know, late in the, uh, First half, when it's still reasonably a game, it's still a 10-3 game, and he beats you down the sidelines uh, to set up his uh, touchdown later in the drive. And I'm surprised me and my friends stayed for this crap as long as we did. We left, uh, you know, we left where we were standing about midway through the third quarter, but I think the third it was in the fourth quarter by the time uh we were out of uh the uh parking lot and just you know all the way around you know mike white's four interceptions penalties including the one by white that you just can't have it's it 10 nothing second quarter and he gets called they get called for a delay of game penalty on a fourth and one in bills territory who who knows you know you get a playoff, you maybe run a QB sneak, and you can get the donut off the board later in that drive, at least get a field goal. Same with what happened at the end of the, the first half where he connects with Corey Davis, and Corey Davis uh, fumbles the football in uh, reasonably good field goal territory, taking uh, another uh, scoring opportunity away from uh, this Jets team. And, you know, when you combine that with how bad they've played defensively in the last month, being the first team since the 1966 Giants to give up 45-plus points in th three games out of a four-game span, uh, they've allowed 175 points combined in these last four games. I mean... What is there to be proud of? What is there to be optimistic of? It, even if you are the most passionate, diehard of diehard Jets fans like myself. I mean, it's a tough ask. It's a tough watch when it comes to this Jets team right now. And you know, there's really no answers. There's really no, really nothing that you can uh, truly feel good about. But and, you know, now the Jets, you know, they move on next week. They'll play the Dolphins. The the Bills will uh, get the Colts, who had somewhat of a uh, struggle late yesterday uh, with the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. And for me, you know, the the worst part of uh, going to the the Jets games is. The fact that, you know, I'm away from home and don't have the red zone as an option. Don't have something to turn to of saying, oh, this is boring the crap out of me. Let me go uh, watch something else. When, you know, when I'm home for a road game or like last year when we weren't able to attend games at all, at least when the team is playing like crap, I 
can say, all right, let me get away from this. I'll move on to watching you know, something that will actually entertain me. I can move on to, oh, watching the, uh, you know, the return of Cam Newton with, you no, know, and he, you can see he provided a, a little bit of a spark of energy for that team yesterday. Even though he didn't start, they started P.J. Walker. He comes in in the first seven minutes of the game. He's got a passing and rushing uh, touchdown. First player in uh, 30 years to have their first rush of a season, rushing attempt of a season, and first uh, passing attempt of a season, both go for uh, touchdowns. You know, added a little bit of energy to a Panthers team that had you know, gotten off to a good start this year, uh, then started to slip once Sam Darnold uh, was throwing all the in- interceptions. And, you know, creates a, a little bit of a conundrum there now with uh, the Panthers uh, quarterback spot. Because unless they don't think Sam Darnold is coming back at all this year from uh, the shoulder injury that we didn't even know about until about Thursday of last week, you know, you you wonder what uh, they uh, are going to do if he comes back because oh, – Cam Newton is in the back half of his career. P.J. Walker, not the long-term answer. He's just a a backup quarterback. He's just a guy there to hold a clipboard. But, you no, know, say, you know, Cam is average and, and Sam Donald comes back in three or four weeks. Do they put Sam back out there saying, oh, we've got to figure out um, – what we're going to do uh, long-term with this quarterback situation, knowing that they have already picked up his fifth-year option. Or if uh, Cam gets on a roll here, you know, he's gotten, they've got him back into a wild-card position. He gets on a roll, provides this team a spark, and say, heaven forbid, they get into the playoffs do they decide to bring him back next year and you know keep the ball rolling uh, with uh, Cam Newton uh, as uh, the quarterback? You know, remember, about three weeks ago, there was rumblings that the Panthers had thrown themselves into the race for uh, Deshaun Watson. So what does that say about what they think of Sam Darnold, both for the rest of this year and long term, if they're talking about potentially trading for a quarterback that has 22 sexual assault or sexual uh, 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 assault or misconduct or um, inappropriate action. Uh, uh, lawsuits against him and when they don't get him they go out there and sign uh cam newton who 31 other teams in the league could have had and didn't want let sit out there for the first 
know, nine weeks of this season. And then Sam looked good the first three weeks, but then suddenly something the last five games just blew up on him, and his uh, interception woes with the Jets showed that maybe it wasn't just the Jets. Maybe he is... uh, he was not ready to be a starting quarterback in this league or that he's just always going to be that turnover prone guy that never truly locks down someone's uh, starting role in uh, this league. Another piece of uh, news that came down uh, this week and, you know, talked about this last week. We knew it was coming. It was just a matter of when and where, and that was Odell Beckham um, being released by the Browns. And, you know, we knew that he was going to go probably to a contending team. He wasn't, he wasn't going to sign on somewhere and uh, put up numbers on a crap team. He, as much of a uh, irritant and as much nonsense as he can create at times, no, he does care about winning. He does want uh, to uh, be part of a winning uh, situation to prove that he's not just a numbers stacker, that he's not just a, a guy that puts on uh, great highlights uh, each and every single week. So, no, I was a little bit, when it first happened, I was a little bit surprised that he would pick the Rams, knowing that that they had you know so many uh, offensive options uh, available uh, to them, and that Matthew Stafford wasn't going to just you know lock on uh, to him like he did back in his Detroit days uh, with uh, Calvin Johnson. But then the 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 move became more of a necessity as the week went on when we would find out late uh, Friday that Robert Woods tore his ACL late in the day at practice. So now, rather than it being a luxury, rather than you looking at the Rams and saying, wow, they trade for Von Miller to add to what was already a strength. Then they signed uh, Odell Beckham for the rest of the season and to what was already a strong wide receiver core. Now, because of some fluke thing at practice, they lose their second best wide receiver. And it comes at a time where they're set to play on Monday Night Football tonight against... uh, they're one of their division rivals in the San Francisco 49ers. Like I said before, now's the time to step up. Now's the time to show up if you are Odell Beckham. You, know, you had nothing but losing seasons when you were with uh, the uh, New York Giants. In the one playoff game that you did have uh, with them, you no-showed, you uh, crapped the bed. And that coming right after the whole boat trip fiasco that everyone still to this day uh, uh, mocks you for. You go to Cleveland, 
Your first year there, they underperform, disappoint. And in year two, when you tear uh, your ACL, the team uh, performed better without you. Now this is a chance you step up, fill uh, the role that uh, Robert Woods was as uh, the uh, sidekick uh, on the other side to Cooper Cup because you know Cup is having a uh, you know, borderline historic season. The fact that we're only halfway through the year and he's got uh, already a thousand yards on uh, the campaign and uh, ten t- ten touchdowns. So he's going to still be uh, viewed as the number one guy there. Here's your chance to show that you don't care about role. You don't care about being the number one guy. You just care about winning. And let's see if you can actually do that for a change. All right. A lot I want to get to over the next about 40 minutes or so here. Give you some thoughts on the rest of the action in week 10. Uh, Mix in some basketball thoughts. Haven't talked much NBA so far uh, this season. Uh, A few things on baseball when it comes to the Mets uh, GM search. The Yankees potentially making a big trade. Also, you know, some feistiness in the NBA last week that we'll get to as well. So please sit back, relax, help put your feet up, and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3. You know, one thing that has crossed my mind the last couple of weeks, haven't gotten to this, but, you know, th- this is, I've kind of saved talking about this story, and thankfully it's a story that seemingly just won't go away. And that's this crap that's going on with NBA legend Scottie Pippen. Every single week, Scottie Pippen is coming out with something new, and maybe some of a lot of it is uh, due to uh, this book that he's got coming out uh, that he's uh, promoting called Unguarded. But every single time he does an interview anywhere on TV, radio, podcasts, no, newspapers, he is taking swipes at Michael Jordan. And we've known for about a year and a half now that Scottie Pippen is not happy with how he's viewed or presented, should I say, in uh, the documentary The Last Dance. Now, but the the problem he runs into is this all happened, all right? It's not like, oh, no, they were given a script and told what to do. We know that he pulled himself out in 
game three uh, of the 94 playoff series against the Knicks because, you know, the final shot, the final play was not drawn up for him. We know that going into the 97-98 season, he needed surgery. And rather than have that surgery during the off season, Scotty decides to ha- have the surgery uh, about, what was it, 10 days before the start of the regular season and was not available that year until uh, the um, month of January. Missed, what, at least 30 ga- 25, 30 games, and he's never he never admitted it until in the last dance, but Michael was not happy you know, w- with having to deal uh, with that as well as, uh, you know, always wondering, you know, whether or not Dennis Rodman was going to go AWOL or not. Add that on top of the fact you got the the team president slash general manager already saying that this was going to be Phil Jackson's final season no matter what. It created a lot of drama, created a lot of unenjoyability for fans uh, of the Chicago Bulls knowing that they're on the verge of their second straight three-peat and there's all of this this crap going on as well as knowing that this was going to be it no matter what. So now, now since then, Scottie Pippen has taken every opportunity to take a swipe at Michael Jordan. Last week, it's funny, last week his... His take was that the the flu game was not impressive. That no, it was more impressive that uh, Pippen at times was playing uh, uh, with herniated uh, discs in his back, having to play through those rather than Michael Jordan playing an NBA playoff game. Uh, with a high fever and having to take a lot of fluids throughout the game just to get through, just to persevere and survive. Now that now today, Scottie Pippen is saying in the, a quote has come out from his new memoir saying that Michael ruined the game of basketball, saying, quote, I may go as far to say Mike ruined basketball. In the 80s, uh, on the playground, you have everyone moving the ball around, passing to help uh, the team. That stopped in the 90s. Kids want to be, quote, like Mike. Well, Mike didn't want to pass, didn't want to rebound, didn't or defend uh, the best player. He wanted everything done for him. That's why I've always believed LeBron James was the greatest uh, player this game's ever seen. He does everything and embodies the game uh, tr- um, is truly about. Now, he can make his argument about LeBron being the GOAT. I disagree on that. I I feel uh, Michael is uh, the GOAT. And, and he's allowed to have 
his opinion on that, just like I'm allowed to have my opinion on it because, you know, LeBron and Michael are uh, different uh, players. But why do you have to go about, you know, knocking him? And it just, it makes you look even more foolish when you see the fact that uh, the growing public opinion has always been support of Michael Jordan in this spot has always been, you know, that Scotty's just a bitter, angry old man rather than, you know, one of the greats of all time. You know, Scotty Pippen, people forget during his playing career, he was one of the top five players in the league, you know, during his prime when he was with the Chicago Bulls. He's mad that he's only viewed as the Robin to the GOAT being Batman. He's mad at, at the, the fact that he's always looked at as the second headliner um, when it comes to those Bulls teams rather than it being Pippin Jordan. Um, it's always viewed as Jordan Pippin as it it should be. And, you know, I just don't get it. Now, is there something, you know, beyond the documentary that happened between them personally that we don't know about? But, you know, he, he's become a laughing stock. Rather than being remembered as one of the all-time greats, people, as I said, are looking at him as just this bitter, angry old man who... You know, quite frankly, his bitterness is unjustified. And, you know, while he can have his opinion, he can have what he wants to say and think that LeBron is the GOAT. I don't get why every chance he gets, he feels the need to take a swipe at Michael Jordan. Now, that kind of. I wouldn't even call that feistiness. I would just call that having some kind of bone to pick. I can't stand. But what I liked about you know, his playing career is the fact that was back at the time where there was legitimate rivalries in the NBA. Across the sport, uh, you had you know teams that flat out couldn't stand each other. Remember, de- during the original three-peat, Dennis Rodman was elsewhere. He was, you know, with the, the Pistons. He spent some time uh, with the uh, San Antonio Spurs, and he, he had kind of worn out his welcome places before he ever made it to the Chicago Bulls. But back in the 90s, the 80s, all uh, during that area, there, you know, you had teams legitimately not like each other, and it was a night-in, night-out basis where there was some feistiness, there was pushing and shoving on the court. Nowadays, everybody's each other's best friend because they all, you know, work out together during the off season. Well, last week. 
we finally got to see a little feistiness, finally got to see a little bit of anger, and it was an unlikely source with Nikola Jokic uh, going up against uh, Markeith Morris. Now, Jokic had just had enough of Morris's crap when he, he took uh, that elbow uh, to uh, the midsection late in the game last Monday night. And he decided to retaliate with a hard shove that sent Morris uh, to the floor. And uh, even at one point, they brought out a stretcher because they didn't think Morris was going to be able to walk off on his own. You know, both guys were uh, assessed flagrant fouls uh, for the uh, situation. Jimmy Butler, who was cut, who was the third guy involved, got a, a technical. Jokic would get a one-game suspension while Morris and Butler each got fines. But while I don't want a situation breaking out like the malice at the palace, I kind of like this. I kind of like this feistiness amongst these uh, teams, amongst players in this league, because it's showing me that they, you know, they've got a heartbeat. They got a pulse. They got that it's not just about oh their brand they actually care about winning they care uh, about not being shown up by uh, their opposition and listen no it's about time that someone you know shoved back at one of the Morris twins they've always had a habit of being you know the big bully on the block they've always had a habit of being uh the guys that you know could dish it out, but weren't, uh, shall we say, uh, getting uh, retribution uh, from uh, the opposition. Now it's led to a little off the court beef where you've where you've got uh, Markeith's brother Marcus uh, tweeting about this. Uh, uh, Jokic's uh, brother, who's not even in the league, uh, he's tweeting uh, via his personal Twitter account. Those two going back and forth. Even uh, uh, Nicole Jokic's brothers saying that they're going to have uh, front row tickets the the next time uh, the, the Nuggets and the Heat meet up. Like that, like that's going to mean anything. Uh, it's not like the brothers are going to run on the court and get involved in a squabble with uh, Markeith and if his his brothers in the stands, uh, Marcus as well. But I like, you know, this kind of animosity, this kind of tension. Adds a little bit of flavor, adds a little bit of sizzle to the game. Now, as, as I said, I don't want straight fights breaking out during the game, but a little bit of tension, a little bit of aggressiveness uh, during a, a sp- Sporting event showing that the teams, uh, you know, when they're on the court, they they're not everybody's best friend. I kind of dig that. I kind of think that there's uh, something cool uh, about that a dynamic there. Now, haven't talked about our two uh, local teams here much so far this season. Uh, Want to get uh, some thoughts on both the Knicks and the Nets, uh, their starts this season. You know, the Nets, 
should be as expected. Now, they started off slow uh, the first couple games, and uh, people were getting alarmed just uh, because uh, Harden got off to uh, poor shooting, uh, wasn't getting uh, a lot of trips uh, to the foul line, and he had to adjust to the new way that officials were going to be calling things. But the Nets have gotten things turned around to the point where you know, you look up three weeks later and they are the two seed in the Eastern Conference right right behind uh, the uh, Washington Wizards who I think are kind of doing it with smoke and mirrors. Uh, remains to be seen if they can hold up the entire 82-game uh, schedule. But now the Nets just got done with an extended road trip, seven games, uh, uh, the last four uh, this past week going uh, three and one over those uh, six and one in total on the road trip, and it looked like maybe all oh, this road trip might start to slip away from them. When a week ago they had that embarrassing loss in Chicago, and I'm not saying that embarrassing because of uh, the Bulls, the Bulls are showing so far they are a uh, legitimate four formidable team in uh, the league this season and are growing before our eyes. I'm talking about the utter collapse in the fourth quarter. The fact that you go into the fourth leading and you get outscored by 25. And a lot of the concerns that you have about the Nets reared their ugly head, uh, especially their lack of a true center down low. I mean, now, they may list Blake Griffin as the starting center um, in the program guide, but let's face it, he's a power forward playing the uh, five spot. So they're losing a lot of these battles when it comes to uh, easy points in the paint and uh, rebounding, and it turned out to be uh, uh, the uh, big problem for uh, them against the Bulls. But you know they uh, were able to rebound from that, take care of business against some Less than stellar competition in the Magic, Pelican, and Thunder, including you know with Harden coming alive the these last couple of games, playing his best basketball so far in this young season. Even you know last night in uh, the blowout against the Thunder, you have Joe Harris leaving the first half with a an an ankle injury. We'll see how bad that is and how much time he's going to miss. But Patty Mills comes in off the bench and puts up 29, uh, was uh, hot from behind the arc, been exactly what you would have hoped you were getting from him when you signed him uh, this past off season, and just continued this uh, forward momentum for the Brooklyn Nets. Now they get to go back home for three games where they'll have two games against the Woeful Cavs and uh, Orlando Magic, but that stretch gets started uh, tomorrow night on TNT when they uh, play the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors, who, you know, it's very impressive to start the Warriors have gotten off to 11 and 2. And, you know, Steph Curry right now, you've got to argue, it, I mean, got to say he's. So far through this short uh, season, 
is the MVP of the season uh, so far when you take into account the fact that you know Clay Thompson hasn't played yet. You no, know, they're looking at maybe the week before Christmas for Clay to come back and play his first game in what two and a half years from the torn ACL and then last year's Achilles injury. And you, you look at the not just Curry dominating offensively, but they're doing great defensively. Number one in steals, number one in defensive rating. They're second in the league in rebounding, and that's even without the youngster uh, James Wiseman. He hasn't played since last April after uh, the uh, meniscus surgery. So the Warriors are not even at full strength, and they're still taking care of business. Now, they, they have had a weak schedule so far, have played a majority of their games at home so far. But it is going to help once they get to that difficult spot of the schedule and getting uh, uh, the second-best shooter in the league back and uh, what they hope is their dominant interior uh, uh, presence in uh, Wiseman as well back. And now as far as the Knicks are concerned, now that should we be – I'm not sure if – we should really be surprised at the start that they have gotten off to, or at least surprised on the way they have played this month, uh, going two and five so far here in the month of November and losing two or three in the last week, including uh, losing to the Bucks in a game that was, let's face it, that was a statement being... Uh, sent or a message being sent by uh, Tom Thibodeau toward his team, uh, wanting them to wake the hell up. Now, uh, you have the starting five only score 32 points, and he benched them in midway through the third quarter against the defending NBA champions. And even when Derrick Rose and company uh, brought them back from a 24-point deficit, he's like, no, all right, this this group of guys, this core, this uh, core group, got me, got us back in the game. I'm going to stick with them. Plus, the starting five proved they didn't deserve to get the chance to carry them over the hill. Now they would end up collapsing down the stretch and still lose by 12, but. That was the first time where you saw, probably in the Tom, Tom Thibodeau era, him get legitimately pissed off, legitimately fired up and angry at his team uh, for a lackluster uh, performance. But the problem, the problem with that game is you can't have Derrick Rose be your leading scorer. Derrick Rose should be a guy that's playing you know, only 25 minutes a night as your sixth man rather than having to carry the mail for you and trying to save the day on a, a uh, night-in, night-out basis. Now, his knees are not going to hold up at this, uh, at this rate if they continue to try and 
push him past the 30-minute mark in a game or try to push him to having to be that savior for this team uh, night in, night out. I mean, you need whatever R.J. Barrett's going through the last four games, he's got to wake the hell up. I mean, Julius Randle, for the most part, is carrying his his end here. We'll see you know, if long-term Kemba Walker is, is actually a fit or if him and R.J. Barrett are just going to continue to butt heads and collide here. Because you notice when one has a good game, the other one seemingly does nothing. The other one is quiet for the uh, most part. We saw it uh, you know, Friday night. Now, Kemba has probably his best game of the season, putting up 26 points. R.J. Barrett's nowhere to be found. So that has got to be figured out. But no, when it comes to the Knicks, they weren't going to surprise anyone this year. They weren't go- Last year, as well as they played, no one looked at them as a true, real number four seed. No one thought that, oh, th- this is the, the fourth best or fourth most talented team in uh, the Eastern Conference. You know Miami was going to get better. You know Toronto, once they started playing actual home games um, and stuff where essentially they played 82 road games last year, was uh, going to... Uh, you know, be a, a better team. You knew that, you know, you know, we saw the moves Chicago made during the offseason. We saw how Atlanta came of age uh, during the postseason. You know, I, I said during the offseason that the Knicks could get better, but at the same time slip as far as uh, the uh, standings go, slip from four down to six or even seven or eight, because they were going to now get everybody's best shot. It's one thing when you're that cute, lovable, fun story. But once everybody's got their antennas up, their eyes open, and realizing, oh, the Knicks are, are coming in tonight, rather than just, all right, here's uh, a night we can slack off, it, take off, a, that's a, a winning uh, game. You know, it, it's, it's very... Now, it's very easy to be the hunter, but now when you're amongst the hunted, no, that's when we see what a team truly is. All right, going to take another break here, come back on the other side and recap the, uh, the rest of the action from uh, week 10 in the NFL. Damn, can't, can't even believe that we've uh, got into that already, but... We'll talk about it. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you 
also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Now, it was a weird week in the NFL this week because, you know, and it's been kind of a weird season in that, let's face it, we have no truly dominant team. Every time we think we do, we really don't. We don't have that team that this is the first time in a decade that after 10 weeks, we don't have a team that is either undefeated or one loss. Everybody's got at least two losses now after uh, the Cardinals got smoked by uh, the Panthers yesterday. Although the Cardinals have been playing the last two games with out uh, Kyler Murray without DeAndre Hopkins, you know, there's only so much you can ask for from uh, Colt McCoy. But it's weird what, you know, some of the things that we're seeing. You know, last week, the Baltimore Ravens make a ferocious comeback and uh, uh, are able to hold off the Vikings in overtime. Thursday night, they go uh, to uh, Miami, aren't aren't able to score. Had uh, no answers for uh, Miami's pass rush. Lamar uh, looked flustered all night. Now, they weren't able to put together extensive drives, two for 14 on third down. Couldn't run the ball to the way uh, that they're used to with uh, that and some of the miscues uh, they're making especially, you know, just when it looked like their offense was going to get going at the start of the fourth quarter. Uh, Sammy Watkins fumbles. Xavier Howard uh, returns it uh, for a, a touchdown. And the, the Ravens, even when they cut it to five, you never, you never truly felt that you were going to get the best version of this Baltimore Ravens team. And now uh, they're left to... Uh, uh, lick their wounds and hope to recover against uh, the Bears this Sunday. Now, elsewhere, you know, as far as baffling, you now the Buccaneers against the Washington football team. What is it that it with uh, them against Washington that they struggle uh, against them so much? Remember, the Washington was the team that gave them the most competitive. Uh, most down-to-the-wire, uh, nerve-wrecking game last year in the postseason amongst uh, the uh, four games that the Buccaneers had to win to uh, win their first Super Bowl. And yesterday, you know, Brady throws two interceptions in the, uh, in the first, leading to 10 points for Washington. The 
Washington dominates the, the time of possession. Tell Heineke doesn't um, make a mistake and they come away with an upset victory against the Bucks, who are coming off of their bye. I mean, were the Bucks still sleepwalking, still thinking that they were on vacation? Because it was just, it, it was beyond surprising that this team did not come more ready to play against uh, a Washington team that is just kind of playing out the string. Now, you know, they'll never admit it, but now the fact that they've probably lost Chase Young for the year to a torn ACL, can't expect that they're going to be really in the mix for anything. Uh, you know, you get Cleveland, they blow out uh, Cincinnati last week, and then they go to New England. They get their doors blown off, and that's coming after... You know, marching down the field on the first on their first drive for a touchdown, and after that, nothing. May Baker struggles, then gets hurt, leaves with a, a knee injury, and the Patriots run the football uh, right down uh, the Browns' throats to the point where Mac Jones is sitting there in the baseball with the baseball cap on in the uh, fourth quarter enjoying a blowout victory, and hey, don't look now. The, the Patriots have won four in a row, and they're just a half game behind Buffalo for the division. That's why, you know, as mad as I am about the uh, the Jets getting their ass kicked yesterday, I'm not as mad about them losing because I don't hate the Bills as much as I hate uh, the New England Patriots. Uh, the Cowboys, you see the Cowboys go from getting blown out against the Broncos to then uh, destroying the Falcons. I mean, it was to be expected they were going to have a rebound game, but Atlanta shows some damn pride. I know, and this goes back to what's been their big bugaboo for the last couple of years, defense. I mean, defensively, you know, you would have thought they were still back at the hotels, not not even given a damn, not even given a good, honest try in, in uh, this game, and allowing what what was it, twenty nine unanswered points at at one point, a- including a a, a a special teams touchdown on a uh, blocked punt. I Matt Ryan and company. Just you know, got their doors blown off by this this cowboy team. Who some people were starting to question their legitimacy uh, last week after the way they played against uh, the Denver Broncos. Now, um, you know, you got all the cowboy fans, all of uh, the cowboy talking heads on television popping off, running their mouths, thinking that. Oh, this team is uh, back. That this team is uh, is a uh, Super Bowl uh, contender, and uh, now is saying, "Oh, watch what we do against uh, uh, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs coming up next uh, Sunday." In is going to be a real. Uh, proving ground 
test for this team to show that, oh, it's we don't just take advantage of bad defensive teams. We can hang with uh, the top dogs in this sport. I mean, now they've hung their hat on uh, that game against Tampa in week one, the moral victory of the season. Last time I checked, that was still considered a uh, a uh, L in the loss column for them. But now they're going up against a Chiefs team that we might have all been too quick to write off. And, you know, listen, when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs, any negative connotation I've ha- had about them, any commentary, you know, questioning this team has been more so uh, about the fact that, you know, they've been turning the football over at an alarming rate. And, you know, the, their inability to, you know, make s- stops on defense, the fact that, you know, Kelsey has... See, hasn't had a consistent uh, season in his own right until you know last night, where he just uh, took advantage of the Raiders' defense. The you know the the one concern I would still have with the Chiefs is the fact that they've not got McCall Hardman uh, going with the ground game. This guy, uh, uh, Daryl Williams. Um, Another running back out of that backfield stepped up and had a big game uh, in his own right last night. Almost 150 all-purpose yards along uh, with the tu- a touchdown. And you know maybe what the Raiders have been going through this year with you know the uh, resignation of their head coach and then the Henry Ruggs situation. Maybe it's now all become too much and they've they're kind of going to kind of sink back to the pack here and you know the problem here or should I say you know the uh, big concern you would have if you're a Raiders fan or if you're a Chargers fan after them uh, falling to the Vikings yesterday you had an opportunity to potentially run away with this division. You had an opportunity to seize control of the AFC West and put the Chiefs in panic mode. Well, now the Chiefs have won three straight, and they've retaken uh, the lead, taken control of this division. Still got to play both the Raiders and the Chargers uh, one more time, but now the Chiefs, you know, they've gotten their not just their swagger back, they might have gotten a little bit of their cockiness uh, back as far as being the top dog in uh, that division. I don't know how many times this needs to be said, but a tie is able to happen in an NFL game. Someone's got to tell these players and remind them that ties are allowed to happen in NFL games. Like yesterday, 
you're ha- you see both the Lions and the Steelers players during the post game dumbfounded over the fact that a tie could actually happen. That you know, in a regular season game, that you can finish the game both teams having the same score because you got Najee Harris during the post game uh, press conference saying, oh, I didn't know that there could be ties in the NFL. And, you know, we see this usually from a young player once a year. I mean, you watched football growing up. What, what did you not, what did you not see? What do you not recollect? What do you not remember in realizing that ties can happen? And, no, a lot of this, uh, as far as why the tie happened, comes from two things. One, you know, the Lions being the Lions. I mean, the, you give uh, them even the slightest of opportunity, they're not going to take advantage of it. Had a chance to uh, take control of this game in the second half, and th- their special teams falls apart on them, missing a, a field goal and an extra point. Meanwhile, the Steelers, they're without Ben because he tested positive for COVID. Mason Rudolph goes out there. For some reason, they decided, oh, let's just have Mason throw the ball around the lot uh, 50 times. And even when it looks like they're going to get away with it and squeak out a win in overtime, they fumble twice on the Lions' uh, side of the 50 in overtime, throwing away... uh, Rudolph's competent performance and another 100-yard game by Najee Harris and both teams just looking like a clown show uh, left to be ridiculed and made fun of by the rest of us. The Titans won their sixth consecutive game uh, yesterday. Uh, Another good performance uh, by Ryan Tannehill, but more so the defense for the Titans, uh, was uh, dominant again, led by uh, Jeffrey Simmons getting uh, two sacks. Uh, they uh, were the benefits of uh, the Saints missing uh, two extra points uh, yesterday. Once again, continue to show why the league made uh, the correct choice. Excuse me, in moving back the uh, the extra point, making that no given, and now. Now, the, the Titans, they've won six in a row. You know, you think back to uh, that Jets game and wonder what could have been if uh, they would have actually had their receivers available to them. And the, even without their best player, their uh, number one weapon, they're still able to uh, get the job done and take care of business. Uh, now that They've got the uh, the Texans coming up uh, next week and look to make this uh, seven in a row. And finally, with the Cardinals' loss yesterday, that allowed uh, the Packers to move back into uh, first place uh, or into the number one seed with the uh, their win against the Seahawks where both teams had their uh, franchise quarterbacks in Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson respectively making their returns. Now, Rodgers, nothing spectacular, but 
No, all he had to do was be better than Wilson because you knew that there, you know that there was going to be some rust for Russell Wilson to shake off here. All the all the time, we act like whenever somebody comes back from an injury, that we can just plop them back in like it's some kind of video game or something, and you know what? Everything will be just fine. But there is a such thing as far as you know getting your feet under you, you know, timing and, you know, not having those con- consistent reps, those uh, consistent throws, having that time off can take a- a- away uh, from that, no matter how long you've uh, been with your teammates. And the thing about it is this was actually a competitive game going into the fourth quarter you know it was a defensive first battle uh with the Packers only leading three nothing uh in the late later stages of the third quarter heading to the fourth quarter but Wilson throws two interceptions in the, the end zone uh the, the Packers were able to capitalize on that with uh two touchdowns by uh Dylan and now uh you know the Packers sit there atop of the NFC looking down on, on everyone in a situation that you know, kind of feels like the last dance. You know, We were talking about that earlier where you've got all of the, the, uh, the ire against Aaron Rodgers with what happened with the COVID situation. Not the fact that he, he won't get vaccinated, but the fact that he uh, lied about his vaccination status and had to miss a game once he uh, tested positive. And then some of the kooky comments that he was making in interviews to uh, justify that. And the fact that, let's face it, no, ma- no matter what they say, there's still no love loss between him and the front office. And we are heading one way or another toward a breakup this season. I mean, could it have a a Jordan-like ending where he's walking off uh, in L.A. holding up uh, the Lombardi Trophy? Now, Packer fans at the time will be happy about it. But moments after that celebration, there'll be some melancholy, some sadness to it, knowing that their legend is walking out the door. Going to take a, a another break here, come back, finish things up on the other side with uh, some uh, baseball th- thoughts. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Only the Mets. Only the Mets. That is all I can say to open up this final segment of the podcast uh, for today. Because, you know, last week, believe it or not, the baseball offseason, even though we know that all hell is about to break loose with this uh, negotiations over a new CBA, Last week was uh, the GM meetings. These always happen uh, about a month before the winter meetings, which who knows will will actually happen with those come the month of December since the CBA runs out on December 2nd. 
But last week was uh, the GM meetings where you get the kind of a beginning of the feel for the off seasons allows general managers to begin talking potential trade ideas, swap those GMs to talk with uh, the agents of some of the top free agents and uh, begin to negotiate uh, deals, even begin to negotiate possible extensions for uh, players that are arbitration eligible or are set to become free agents in in the future. And only the Mets can go into the general manager's meetings without a general manager in place. And the problem problem here is, you know, no one wants the job. You know, every single time they look to offer it to somebody or even offer somebody an interview, they turn it down. They say, no, not interested. Uh, I'll, I'll pass on uh, that one. I think we're, what, somewhere around, it's got to be at least – you know, 12 people that have turned uh, down by now. They, they've been turned down multiple times by people within the Milwaukee Brewers organizations. They've tried reaching out to people in the Red Sox, the Yankees, uh, the Dodgers, the Rays. Uh, they've even gone as far as bringing in someone who left baseball, got into uh, you know, a degree of law, and try and reach out to him to bring him back into baseball to be their general manager. And still, no one's taken it. No one wants uh, this job. And you know, the question becomes: Is it? Is it? You know, the the up and down nature, up and down personality of uh, Steve Cohen. The, the the concern that you'd come in and you'd just be a puppet to him. Is it the fact that, for some reason, Sandy Alderson is still here? And he, at this point, feels like he's more concerned about making sure that his son, uh, Brent Alderson, uh, survives as an assistant uh, general manager. You know, I'm actually surprised we have not gotten to the point where uh, uh, he has been interviewed as potentially the next general manager. I mean... Why not? You know, his father's making all of the the calls anyway. Why wouldn't you uh, at least uh, give him an interview? Especially because Sandy seems Sandy seems to have uh, the ear of the owner. I mean, this is getting to an Isaiah Dolan uh, level kind of situation. Even though Sandy claims he didn't sign up for wanting to be any part of the baseball operations uh, side of things why wouldn't you at least you know interview uh, the uh, general manager's kid at, at or the team president's kid at this point to uh, see if he wants the job I mean you have you have interviewed everybody else worth worth a try but you know you can't you got to get this done. You can't have a scenario where you just decide, all right, we're not going to hire a general manager. Sandy Alderson is going to stick 
with his role as head of baseball operations and team president for another year. Because remember, you still got to hire a manager. What if, you know, say you, you go this route with Sandy running things for another year and bring in a new general manager after next year. Say you, you're waiting for uh, Stearns from Milwaukee when he's a free agent. He comes here and he's like, this is not the guy I want to manage the team. I want uh, my own guy. That just creates a, a continued carousel of problems here that you don't want to deal with if uh, you're the Mets or a Mets fan. It'd be best to get this out of the way sooner rather than later. Now, we are still very early in the free agent process, but we've seen a couple of pitchers uh, sign deals, including, you know, this clearly shows that, you know, everybody is just dying for pitching depth and that it's not only is it good to be left-handed, but it's good to be a living, breathing human soul because, you know, God bless them, but how the hell can the Dodgers uh, give Andrew Heaney $8.5 million? I, I get it's on a one-year contract, but what is Andrew Heaney done over his career with the Angels or the limited time with the Yankees to show that he's someone that you spend money on and bring in on a guaranteed roster spot rather than have him sing for his supper and have him compete for a spot in spring training. That one, you know, I've said this before. General managers care more about living having as many living, breathing human beings as possible rather than overall quality depth because the Dodgers have been pretty good at churning out young pitchers the last couple of years. And unless, you know, you do have to take into account the possibility of, of a setback or some kind of, uh, um, you know, pause in Dustin May's uh, recovery from Tommy John surgery. But you've got to expect the Dodgers are going to be, you know, putting a pedal to the metal to try and re-sign Max Scherzer. Uh, they're going to make every effort to bring back Clayton Kershaw. You, you've still got Urias there. You've still got Walker Bueller uh, on this team. You've still got the David Price contract uh, there. So... Are you going to be paying Andrew Heaney all that money to be a bullpen guy? Especially with, you know, you can never take health lightly. But if you have everybody healthy, he's probably your seventh, maybe eighth option to be a starter for your team. That one kind of you know caught me off by surprise. Then, then there's this one, the first multi-year contract signed by a player this offseason with the Tigers landing Eduardo Rodriguez, him leaving the Red Sox now, getting a five-year, $77 million contract, uh, can bump up to $80 million with incentives. And even though he's a former Red Sox, feel good for the guy uh, considering he 
he had a hard time dealing with uh, COVID. You know, they, it hit him pretty hard uh, last year. Remember, he missed uh, the entire season, and uh, uh, what you call it, uh, even uh, dealt with uh, some uh, some side effects after that that were a little bit scary there in uh, 2020. So good to see him get a payday. The, I mean, the, this guy, he, he's not, he's never going to fool in anyone into thinking that he's an ace. Um, and I don't think that's what Detroit is signing them to be. But they needed a veteran in that rotation that they know will take the ball once every five days, go out there and give them, you know, 200 innings of quality work and you know they have a veteran manager there a, a world series winning manager in aj hench no matter what you may think of how he won the world series he won a world series you know uh he is not just going to sit there and want to be a babysitter for a rebuild he wants to win that's why you've heard their name in, involved with some of these brand shortstops, including the likes of a Carlos Correa, who's, if not the biggest uh, free agent shortstop name on the market, he's one of them. And he's one of the names that, if you're a Yankee fan, you're going to continue to hear about. You're going to hear that, continue to hear them. Uh, express interest about i mean we saw last week at the gm meetings cashman said he's met with the agents of all of the top free agent shortstops and especially multiple times with two in particular and those two in particular um in in my mind are the top two free agent shortstops in this class in correa and Corey seeker and look Listen, if they sign one of these guys, my personal preference would be Seager. Not because I think he's uh, the better player than Correa. I think Correa's uh, got more power than Seager, um, is more clutch in the postseason than him, and uh, more gifted at shortstop uh, than uh, Seager is. But... And I'm not even taking into account what happened uh, with the the sign-stealing situation because, listen, we've had many enemies that we hated, especially with the Boston Red Sox that came here, won, and all of a sudden they're beloved. Remember, Wade Boggs, fans thought years uh, ago back in the 80s, stole a batting title from Don Mattingly with how much he was sitting down the stretch. Uh, Roger Clemens, you know, Yankee fans couldn't stand. He comes here, um, wins a couple of championships. He was beloved and gets a standing ovation in 2007 when he announces that he's coming back for a second tour with the Yankees. Johnny Damon, remember, part of the the infamous idiots and part of that that. Uh, all four team that made history against the Yankees coming back from three, um, nothing down. Everyone remembers the big moment that kind of sealed it uh, with his grand slam off Javier Vasquez in game seven. 
He comes here, wins, steals two bases in uh, game four against the Phillies, helps them win the World Series, and is uh, liked by every Yankee fan. Gets uh, a good hand when they invited them back for Old Timers Day. So that, unfortunately, you have to shake uh, from your mindset. My thing with Seager is I look at him as the better fit because he's a left-handed bat. And that's what the Yankees need. They need that you can't just have your only left-handed bat going into next year being Joey Gallo, who was awful, and they'll probably let walk after next year, or uh, having the returning Aaron Hicks, who probably is not returning to a full-time role. The fact that the Yankees are out there talking to any free agent center fielder available or potential trade candidate for a uh, a center fielder available. They probably realize that, damn, we screwed up giving Aaron Hicks that kind of sizable uh, contract extension. Uh, The the big thing... uh, Oh, with the the Yankees, you know, last year they went into the season with only really one left-handed bat in their lineup, uh, and that being the switch hitter Aaron Hicks. As we saw when they had added left-handed hitting to this lineup at the trade deadline, they started to play well. They started to take off. They didn't become as you know one-dimensional for a pitcher to get through uh, the lineup. You you couldn't just throw your best right-hander out there um, and say, oh, lefties take the night off. We're all good here. So, no, that's why I prefer, would prefer Seager over Correa, but I'm still not sure if I want the Yankees to go out there for one of the big shortstops. Because, you know, even though there's no salary cap in baseball, we'll see what the luxury tax looks like after the new CBA. You hear all this talk, especially from Andy Martino of SMY, saying that once uh, the new CBA is done, the the Yankees and the Mets are going to be big spenders and uh, really just go wild in free agency. But there's still that looming issue of re-signing Aaron Judge to a long-term extension. You know, how many guys are you going to have on uh, payroll making 30-plus million dollars a year? I mean, you're going to have Judge, you know, a six-year, $200 million contract on top of the fact that Stanton uh, is making 30-plus million a year. Uh, uh, Garrett Cole is making $36 million a year. And you know, there's only so many guys you can pay. That added on the fact that, you know, all we keep hearing about with the Yankees is that their best two prospects are shortstops. These kids, uh, Anthony Volpe and uh, Aswald uh, uh, Peraza, especially Volpe, who everyone in the organization seemingly loves, everyone thinks can be a big star um, in the near future for this team, and he's only 20 years old. Do you really want to lock yourself into a contract with one of these shortstops and block these kids uh, in the future? So 
I don't know. It's kind of a – no, I'm glad I don't have to make the decision on that. Just like I'm glad – no, I don't have to uh, make the decision when it comes to the first base spot because, you know, it's either I, – I think they're going to trade Luke Voigt this offseason. It's clear that he does not have a long-term role here. But what do you do? Do you re-sign Anthony Rizzo? Or do you trade for Matt Olson, which has been the big rumor this week? Matt Olson, who's four years younger than Anthony Rizzo, has two years uh, left before free agency, and you can use those two years to show if he's uh, really fit for here and sticking around long term. Or Rizzo, who you've known, who you know can play here, and you don't have to trade anything for. Now with Olson, if you know, this proposed trade idea that ESPN's Jim Bowden has put out there is true. I think you definitely have to consider it where it would be Matt. He he thinks that the Yankees could get Matt Olson for Luke Voigt and Glaber Torres. You know, I'm hesitant toward going uh, in going near trading Glaber Torres because I, I think a lot of his problems offensively the last couple of years have been based off of his struggles um, as shortstop, him taking struggles in the field back out defensively. But that no, this is a guy that he's only t- kid that's only 25 years old, and I'm not sure if I would be so quick to really give up on uh, him and not believing that he couldn't just turn things around going back to second base. I I do believe that. That is truly an option there when it comes to uh, Glaber Torres that he can, you know, maybe not be a 38 home run hitter again, but show us this, the kind of production that we saw in 2018 and 2019 when he was in a more comfortable spot at second. But I go back to those young shortstops and why they become part of the equation here. Because if you trade, say you trade Gleyber Torres in a deal for Matt Olson, you probably have to include something more than just uh, Torres and, and Voigt, probably have to include at least one young pitcher. Now, let's say Volp is a year away. Then you trade um, Torres, you put LeMahieu back at second base, you keep Urshela, um at third base rather than making him some utility player. You sign a stopgap guy like Andrelton Simmons who you can let walk or even trade him once Volpe or Peraza are ready. And then you can spend more of your resources on pitching because they're not going to go into next year with a starting rotation of Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, Jamison Tyon, uh, Jordan Montgomery, and then either Luis Heal or Domingo Herman as your rotation. Herman hasn't shown that he can stay healthy to be a starter full for the full season. He's probably more of a jack-of-all-trades, um, spot starter kind of guy. Heal needs more time in the minors. So do uh, some of their other young starters like Davey Garcia and Luis Medina. Uh, Montgomery, I thought, had a very strong, solid season. But uh, 
Tyon is going to be coming off of a foot surgery. And Luis Severino has not pitched a full season as a starter in three years. He's going to need breaks as the year goes on. So the Yankees, I do think they're going to make big moves. But I don't think those big moves are going to be made offensive, offensively when it comes to uh, free agency and spending money. I, I think those free agent uh, deals are going to be made as offers toward big-time pitching, whether that be Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, you know, someone along those lines I see the Yankees spending big money on. But I will say this. I said this before. I'll say this again. You know, baseball, just get it done. Get You and your Players Association, get it done when it comes to this CBA so that we can get free agency started and that we can actually enjoy this off season without hearing about you guys trying to kill each other every single moment of the day. And that, my friends, is Keeping It Sports with M3 for Monday, November 15th, 2021. Everyone have a great week. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay happy with whatever you're doing. And I'll talk to you again same time next week. Peace. Love you, Dad. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you, I don't want to hear you, and I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.